Maxman. Good to be with you guys again. Last time I was here, I, I shared two different messages on, on different aspects of prayer. Kind of, what do we do during this time? Stuff. And uh, I was sharing this with Andrew this afternoon, and he said, I said, I had that kind of loaded one of my bullets in my gun. He said, why don't you do that tonight? Even though we had scheduled to talk about communication tonight, uh, I'll probably do that on, on, on Sunday. And uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about waiting on God. So uh, I'm going to go to Psalms 37, if you have a Bible. Uh, then we'll go to Second Chronicles 20 for our study. Now, you know, guys, I'm a teacher, which means I'm word sensitive. You understand that? It means, you know, I, I, I pick my words very, very carefully. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I notice when the Lord deals with me frequently, he deals with me in themes. You know, every book I pick up seems to say the same thing. Every radio song I turn on, every podcast I listen to, they all seem to be saying the same thing. Is You know, uh, God seems to be repeating himself over and over. And I think it's because he's trying to get through something into my heart. One of those reoccurring themes that I think is absolutely huge is waiting on God. So uh, I, I found that as I read through Scripture, that's actually a very essential theme throughout Scripture. When I use that phrase, waiting on God, what do you think of? We can talk. We can dialogue. It's okay. Sitting still. Sitting still. Cool. Deep trust. Mm-hmm. Waiting on God. Kind of a long term thing. Long term. Long term, not going to be immediate. Yeah, not yet, not going to be a quickie. Hmm. Faithful even when you think he's not responding. Faithful even when you think he's not responding. Well, that's big. That's huge. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Fidelity. How do you mean that? Um, it's loyalty, but not. It's a loyalty which is not asked for. Mm. It's something you're giving freely. Originates out of your heart. Yeah. Good. I used to think. Waiting on God was a cessation of activity while I'm waiting for God to move. You know, I, I waiting for Him to do something. But I, I found out through a lot of my experiences that many times God's not so much wanting to do something for me as He's wanting to do something through me. How does that sound to you? He's looking for me to act so that He can join His activity to mine. And I'm going to submit to you that's a huge idea when we talk about waiting on God. Okay, let's read Psalms 37, verses 8 and 9. It says, Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It leads to evil doing, for evildoers will be cut off. Here's the phrase. But those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord. Now that word wait actually biblically is very similar to the biblical word hope. The word actually describes this great anticipation, this great expectation. Let's say you're in a room with a lot of people and there's a lot of conversations going on in the room 
and, and, and there's somebody that you really want to hear from that's on the other side of the room. So you try your best to shut down every other voice, to change your seat so you can get a bit closer. You cup your hands over your ears so you can hear better because there's this anticipation that what they're going to say is something you want to hear and it's very important for you. Waiting on God's a bit like that. It's leaning into something that would normally be a mundane activity. It's a refining your focus, adjusting your posture to lean into something. Now, when I'm finding, as I search the scriptures, the word for waiting has a lot to do with refining our focus. Look back up in verse 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently for him. Frequently I get people ask me, where do I get the revelations, the teachings that I teach? Some of them just come from understanding the original Greek and Hebrew. It's not a, not a, a big revelation. For example, the word presence in the Hebrew actually means face of God. The words translated wait, the two words in verse 7 and 8, they're very similar, but they're different words. Hebrew scholars actually translate the words in verse 7, the word wait, to whirl in the dance. Show us what a whirl looks like. Go ahead. (laughs) Come on, you can get off the floor. Let's do a 360 in the air. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's not usually what you think of when you think of waiting on God, is it? Whirling in the dance. You probably won't see me whirl in the dance. In fact, I stopped whirling quite a few years ago in fear that I might lose body parts. (laughs) I try to keep everything intact. (laughs) So I believe in the dance, but, you know, actually the first time that I ever danced before the Lord was a whirl, and, 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 and I didn't know what to do. I was at home by myself. It was early in the morning in, in, uh, Virginia. I made sure the curtains were shut and I, I turned the lights out and make sure nobody would see me. I was embarrassed for me. But I saw it in the Bible, so I know God wanted to do it, so I jumped in the air and spun about and landed. And, and I did it again and again. Now, one of the things I noticed is when you're in the air and you're spinning about, you have one basic concern. It's where you're going to land. You don't want to land on the dog. You don't want to land on the shoes you forgot to put away. But you want to land somewhere safe. There's this focus that you have in the whirl of the dance that is implied in the word wait on God. Y'all okay? Many Hebrew words have multiple definitions. 
extremely diverse definition definitions. This word is one of those words to whirl. I become focused on where I'm going to land. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, the word can be translated to give birth. I was privileged to be in the room when all three of my children were born. The doctor would place me by her head so I could hold her hand. And each time she'd have a contraction, she'd squeeze my hand. And I sometimes wondered if I'd ever be able to use that hand again. When giving birth to a child, you don't care who the president is. You don't care about your next car payment. You don't care about your relationship with your neighbor. None of those things matter. If there was ever an illustration of intense focus, it is in giving birth. Every time she'd have a contraction, I would stop everything and give salute to the one I was not worthy to be married to. (laughs) You got it, babe. (laughs) So, whirling in the dance... Whirling in the dance, you have focus on landing, right? Giving birth, there's also this intense focus. And somehow this word God used to describe this activity of waiting on God. It's not an activity, though. It is not involving myself and a hundred other things thinking somehow God's going to intervene. What I've noticed is, is that he looks for my participation my feeble efforts so that he can breathe on them and make them supernaturally effective did you get that proverbs 21:31 says the horse is prepared for the day of battle but victory belongs to the lord That means I do everything that I know to do, feed the horse well, train the horse, everything to make the horse prepared for battle. But when the day comes, it's only because God breathes on my efforts that makes those efforts supernaturally effective. I believe this is the key to the next season that we are coming into. It's learning how to surrender natural effort and focus so that he can breathe on it and bring about breakthroughs that we've longed for for months and years. One of my favorite individuals in church history is a man named George Mueller. He ran an orphanage in the UK, was an extraordinary man of faith. His prayer life was incredible. One day he's praying and the Lord gave him a vision about building a new building on the grounds. So he leaves his time of prayers, walking across the grounds. A child comes up to him, gives him a penny, and says, this is for the new building. Here's the deal. When you are waiting on God, a penny is a million dollars. Because you're not intimidated by its size or the lack of its size. He took the penny, lifted it before the Lord, said, Lord, thank you for the confirmation." Now, personally, I prefer $100,000 confirmations, but But when I'm waiting on God biblically, the size of the confirmation doesn't matter. You listening? 
Because it's that confirmation that directs and leads your expectations. It is the confirmation that directs and leads your expectations. In such case, a penny's enough. Two of my favorite characters in the Old Testament are Elijah and Elisha. Elijah's the student, Elijah's the mentor. One day Elijah says to his understudy, Elijah says to his understudy, what can I do for you? Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you have. Elijah said, that's a hard, hard thing, it's very rough. You have to understand, you can only give what you have, not twice what you have. Y'all okay with that? Somebody says, I want $200. You say, I only have 100 I can't give you what I don't have. Come on, guys, this isn't rocket science. So here's this request being made by Elisha for a double portion of the anointing of his mentor. So Elijah thinks, and he says to Elisha, that's really hard, but if you see me when I'm taken then you can have it. Here's the challenge. Our biggest tests are when we don't know we're being tested. I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet, but I have a revelation for some of you guys. You're being tested. Come on, y'all smile at me when I talk this way. This is good. It's because the Lord is looking for a response, a heart response to a given situation. It's not a time to think. It's not a time to pray. It's a reaction to the heart. It's not a test of judgment or discernment. It's a test of the character and the capacity of the heart. What can you carry? The weight of the things of God. What can you carry of God into this earth? Another time the king of Israel is told by Elisha to strike the ground with arrows. He hit the ground three times. Prophet got mad, said if you'd have hit the ground five or six times, you would have annihilated the enemy. But now you're only going to have three temporary victories. How many of you know the king would probably like to have taken that test over? <laughs> but he didn't know he's being tested. Our greatest test is when the Lord is looking to see what's in our hearts but we don't know what is there until it comes out. Amen, Bob. That's really good. We know that's true. (laughs) So this was a test for Elijah. Elisha, excuse me. If he saw Elijah when he was taken, then he'd get that double anointing. So Elijah wouldn't let Elijah out of his sight. (laughs) Poor dude couldn't even go to the bathroom. (laughs) You know, when somebody's watching you all the time, it really gets weird, doesn't it? (laughs) So this goes on for a while, and then appears these chariots of fire. Can you imagine horses on fire, chariots of fire coming down out of heaven? And they come in between Elijah and Elisha. Now, remember, what is Elisha's assignment? to be able to see him, to not take his eyes off of him, to watch him when he departs. He only has one responsibility. If he wants that double portion anointing, he has to keep his eyes on him. No wiggle room here for error. Why do I say that? Because the further you go in God, 
the more casualties you cause by your failures. Most of you are fairly young. I just made it up. Uh, the The further you go in God, the more casualties you cause by your failures. God's trying to measure your metal. Measure the heart of Elisha. Here comes the chariot of fire. Elisha cries out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. What's Elisha doing? He's acknowledging something supernatural is happening. But he has this amazing ability to keep his eyes on his assignment. He was to watch Elijah. Here are the chariots of Israel, the horsemen. Elijah has his eyes on Elijah as then the whirlwind comes and takes Elijah out. Interesting. Whirlwind takes Elijah out. Mantle falls off of Elijah. Elisha picks it up. The mantle represents anointing. Elisha picks it up. Elijah could not give Elisha a double portion, but God could. Did y'all get that? And God took the mantle, released it, and it had twice the anointing. So in the moment, Elisha goes to the river, strikes the water with that mantle, and he cries out, where's the God of Elijah? River parts. So what's the point? Here's the point. Elijah illustrates waiting on God. It was not inactivity. He was intensely focused on the mandate of God, his mission. Intensely focused on his assignment. Are you all okay with this? The theme reoccurs throughout Scripture. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22, if your eye is single, your body will be full of light. The word single literally has to do with voyage. If you have a single voyage or a single purpose would be the word we'd use. If your eye is set on one reason to be alive, one journey, one purpose... That act alone, that focus, will release light in every aspect of your life. Everything about you will be enlightened by the presence and the glory of God. I'm talking to you about focus, about refined focus. Second Chronicles 20, incredible story. I'm just going to touch the top of it as we kind of close this thing. It says, Now it came about after the sons of Moab, sons of Ammon, together with some of the Mennonites, they came making war against Jehoshaphat. They came reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude are coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Arazon Tamar, which is the En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, turned his attention, listen to this, to seek the Lord. Proclaim a fast throughout Jerusalem. Excuse me, throughout Judah. So Jehoshaphat is tremendously outnumbered. He's afraid and turns his attention to...
to seek the Lord. How many of you realize that no matter what your emotional state is, anxious, stressful, afraid, doesn't matter what condition you're in, seeking the Lord is good. And you do that through prayer. Prayer is a good thing. Okay, verse 7. It says, Did you not know God? Oh, our God, drive out. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Here's the only thing I want you to point out to you. He's, he's repeating history. He's recalling history back to God. I want to encourage you to repeat your Bible history and your personal history in your prayers more often. It may sound like a religious routine, but I don't think it is. Nehemiah did it. He stood before the Lord and said, I don't take the governor's allowance. It's not given to me. I don't take it. All the workers of this project, I feed them out of my own pocket. Don't you know this, God? Of course you know it. Nehemiah's talking to God. And it's incredibly important for Nehemiah to recount this divine protocol. He's rehearsing in his mind what God has done for him and what he has done in cooperation with God. It's a loving God with your mind. When you use your mind, you recall facts to bring up situations along your journey. Here's Jehoshaphat. He's praying, God, drove out. you drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel. You gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. What's he doing? He's reminding God, not because God forgets, because we need to be in his economy of recalling the events of history because they do two things. You really need to get this and then I'll, I'll be through. Mm-hmm. Number one, when you recall those events, they set up a prophetic prototype for what's about to happen in your day. God, you did it then, you can do it now. Mm-hmm. You're calling forth a prophetic prototype. God, you don't change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You did it then, let's... See it now. Okay, you get that? Secondly, when you do that, when you rehearse, it releases faith for that new thing to happen. Guys, it's important to learn to use your mind. I remember years ago, I was in a prayer meeting. I told the people to take one characteristic of God's nature, like his power, his beauty, his holiness. So everybody picked one attribute. Okay, let's praise God with our understanding. How many of you have learned to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Huh. So everybody picked one attribute. Okay, let's praise God with our understanding. Using your praise... Think of everything you can think of on that subject and praise God for it. It's a mental exercise. Okay, you got that? God, I thank you for your goodness. It's much better than I thought. You give it to your people who don't deserve it. Lord, I recall and am reminded in Scripture uh, when you were so kind to Manasseh, when he deserved your judgment, you turned your heart towards him and you forgave him. So we recount God's acts, not only from Scripture, but from our own personal lives. 
at the end of the time, it was about a 15, 20-minute exercise, I asked the people what they had experienced. Listen to what they said. Each person, without exception, said when they had exhausted everything they knew about the subject, you notice I'm pointing to my mind, everything they knew about the subject, what they could recall, then fresh understanding, fresh revelation came. Every single person was a steward of what they knew about that specific part of the nature of God. They used it in praise, and when they had exhausted what they had, he lifted the veil and let them see even a different, deeper perception of that aspect of his nature. Wow. It's the intentional exercise, the using of the mind with which we love God. It's not a small side point. We've been called to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our and strength. We're to use our intellectual capacity to draw things back to the surface that we can then give as an offering to God. Amen, Bob. That's, that's, that's a really good point. <laughs> Y'all okay with this? Verse 13 says, All of Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. I love this, Andrew. You know, there's some things that just have to be done in family units. Stop and think for a moment. All of Judah standing before the Lord. I wonder if the kids were crying. People tired of standing. People getting bored. I think today we might have difficulty in our culture of convenience was standing before the Lord. Just a thought. Verse 14 says, that in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of so and so and so forth. <laughs> I give you 40 names here, you know. <laughs> Listen, all of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the king of Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I want you to say that out loud with me. The battle is not yours, but God's. Come on. The battle is not yours, but Now God's. I want you to personalize it. The battle is not mine, but God's. The battle is not mine, but God's. Did you know that that's true? Even if you have been called to fight the battle? That doesn't give permission for inactivity. That's the whole point. Refined focus is the activity of waiting on God. Verse 16. You need not fight this battle. Station yourselves. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear. Be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Here's the thing. You cannot miss this. It all comes down to this one phrase. Ready? Stand still. Tomorrow, go. Did you get that? I didn't think you did. (laughs) You need not fight this battle, verse 17. Station yourself, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord your God on behalf of Jerusalem and Judea. 
so forth. Do not fear, be dismayed. Stand still. Do not fear. Tomorrow go and face them. I'm sure you hear the first part of the command, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, because you hear that repeated in every movie and every... Stand still seems like this permanent posture of someone who really wants to see God unfold His will, but it is not. You are standing still in order to adjust your perception of a situation. Come on, guys, you've got to get this. Jesus did it with His disciples in John 4. I personally believe it's the greatest revelation in the Bible on worship. It says, you worship God in spirit and in... Then He follows with this incredible revelation on evangelism. He says, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. That means ready for harvest. It's not an accident that those two revelations work together in tandem. Worship revelation, evangelism revelation. Because evangelism is the purest form of the outflow of worship. Well, well, that's that's, that's good. So Jesus says, lift up your eyes, the fields are white. Lift up your eyes. Look up before you look down. Gain divine perception. Gain divine perspective. So that when you look at something, you see it as God sees it. In the passage we were studying, he says, stand still. And then within, for the, 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 the sentence ends, he says, but tomorrow go. Stand still. Go. God, which one do you want us to do here? He wants you to regroup, refocus, look up before you look down, get divine focus. Because then your activity will be one of anticipation, one of faith. One of what you're anticipating God to do. Not one of merely your self-efforts and duty. That's waiting on God, guys. It's a leap in the air. Refocus in on where you're going to land safely. Uh-huh. giving attention to the only thing that matters. Singular purpose in life. Your voyage. Okay, guys. I've said all of this because I feel prophetically that we are entering into a time where we have the possibility of seeing promises fulfilled that some of us have carried for many years. Nick, wherever you are. things in your heart I believe we're entering a time that we're going to see those things come to fulfillment there are moments in God that are not always repeatable God's breathing on a thought on an idea on an activity and I know that's part of your biggest struggle is trying to balance okay I'm feeling the breath of God I'm seeing I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and find out I waited and did nothing. When he was waiting for me with divine focus. Does this make sense to you? 
waiting on God's that expectation. Refine the focus. It says, I'm all in. I have no plan B. There's no other option. I really believe God, the Lord is, is positioning us for extraordinary things in the months ahead. I believe that we as a group are going to see some breakthroughs that we've long desired. And when that is the anticipation of our heart, what happens is when you're all in, the penny prophesies. How many of you have been believing God for something for years? How many of you have been discouraged and waiting? When you're waiting, a penny prophesies. You're leaning into God to hear his small voice anticipating. When I'm leaning, everything has meaning. I remember one time I was seeking the Lord about something and I was really leaning into God. Everything had meaning. I would check into a hotel room and it had a particular number on it. The next hotel room had the exact same number. I woke up at guess what time in the morning, that exact same time that was the number of my hotel room. Now, I understand you can abuse this kind of thing. But I think the bigger abuse would be to ignore it. God's often talking when we're looking for him to do something else. You okay? So, amen? Amen. Father, I pray for a great grace to rest upon us. Especially as we wait for you in this special season of breakthrough. I ask for breakthroughs to come during our waiting as we refine our focus and our anticipation. Let it be in a way that exalts and glorifies you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all okay? Does that make some sense to you? Okay, you put that with the other two messages. If you weren't here, go grab them. I'm sure someone has them. (laughs) Sure was. Love you guys. Love you guys.